If you'll open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be reading and studying closely uh, verse 25 through 33. We're going to read beginning with verse 18. One of the favorite parts of school when I was in elementary school was uh, the first years they would have this show and tell time. I thought, what a wondrous thing. I can bring something from home and, and the teacher will have me up there and talk to the class about something from home. And I remember trying to each week pick out what thing am I going to take this week to, to bring from home. And, and what I realized soon was as I picked up certain objects, I wasn't just bringing an object, I was bringing an experience with me into the world of school. I was bringing memories into the school realm. I was bringing a little bit of home into the world of school. I remember one time I brought with me um, cow horns. <laughs> you know, those things that you see in Texas that you have on the walls. I had it because I went on vacation to Texas and I thought, you know, I'm going to bring these things. You can imagine, you know, this little second grader with a, a big thing of horns in their backpack. I think school restrictions were a little bit different back then. It probably wouldn't let me do that or something now. But it was, you know, I brought all kinds of questions. Like, why did you bring these cow horns? Did you have cows? Like, no, I don't. But I just went on vacation there, and I have this experience. And when I see these cow horns, it reminds me of traveling in Texas and Mexico. What I want to bring to you is that when you read in Ephesians 5, that marriage is God's show and tell. It is His way of bringing a little bit of a heavenly reality into this earthly world. And so when we read this, it's going to tell us that marriage is going to inform us a little bit about what a gospel relationship with God looks like. And the gospel relationship with God through Jesus Christ informs us of what marriage is to look like. And so they go back and forth informing one another. And it is marvelous. As we read this together, we're going to see how God communicates to us. Not just in black and white pages, but to say, I'm putting it in your life. I'm helping you experience what this gospel is, what heaven will be like, what it can be like. And so we're going to look at this and we're going to read beginning with verse 18. Because in verse 18 we have this command of being filled with the Spirit or to be yielded to the Spirit of God in our life. And to be yielded to Him has certain qualities, certain characteristics in which you will know that you have the Spirit of God controlling your life, working in your life. And so he lists them out in verse 19, that there is addressing one one another with songs in your heart to God, to the Lord. And there is a a melody in your heart. Uh, There is in uh, verse 20, a, a radical gratitude, extreme gratitude that we give thanks to God as we living this life. And then verse 21, that there is a submitting to one another. There is not a defiant spirit to one another, but a submissive spirit among God's people with one another. And then verse 22 on, he starts narrowing down this general action of submissiveness to one another and what it looks like in different roles. 
And so when we come to the husbands and we come to the wives and we look at children to the parents and to employers, employees, we see that the Spirit of God wants to intervene and step out into our everyday world. The Spirit of God intrudes into our marriage life, our family life, our work life. And the Spirit of God cannot be restricted in these realms. And so, uh, when we read this, we learned last week as the wives submitting to their own husbands. In fact, verse 22 does not have the word submit in it. It just says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. The idea is it's capturing verse 21, the verb of verse 21, barring it, verse 22, and say, yes, as we talk about submission to others, let's look at the wives to the husbands, and then the husbands to the wives. And what does that look like for husbands to wives? As we read this, I want you to understand that both the man and the woman in our marital relationship have a call to Jesus. They both get to play the Jesus role in marriage. They both do. The, The woman plays the Jesus role of him submitting to the Father. As the son submits to the father, so too the wife demonstrates that in submitting to the man. And the husband plays the Jesus role in that he Uh, demonstrates sacrificial love just as Jesus does for the church. So both the man and the woman has this call to the role of Jesus in marriage. Now, I want you to understand that as we read this, this isn't just across the board, all men, all women. This is a role played unique to the believing wife, to the believing man. This isn't necessarily a principle applies to your workplace, the government. And what you have here is a model, a Christian model that can only be done with the Holy Spirit. So every once in a while, I watch these shows. I've been watching this YouTube show with the kids every once in a while. Uh, Good Mythical Morning is what it's called, and they do these bizarre stunts. Um, they're both believers, actually. They both used to work on a campus crusade for Christ. And, but they'll have this statement. Kids, don't try this at home. Don't try this at home. It's kind of like as we read this text, there's going to be this, people, don't try this unless you have the Holy Spirit active in your life. So, with that being said, let's read the Word of God together, beginning with verse 18. Let's stand in honor of this being God's Word. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy 
and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You may be seated. So we looked at this. Verse 32 is probably the key application point for us to understand that this marriage is a profound mystery. It's something that's been kind of hidden, but now revealed, but very great. He's referring to marriage, saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so I'm going to talk to you about the heavenly reality of marriage. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the earthly model of marriage. The heavenly reality of marriage and the earthly model of marriage. You get the earthly model of it in verse 33, which is a summary of the actions, the practical actions of the husband and the wife. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. That is the summary of what the husband is to do on this earth. Love the wife as himself. The summary of what the wife is to do toward the husband is let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so uh, these are two different roles with two different genders and strengths and weaknesses in mind and bringing together uh, strengths and weaknesses to help bring unity in a marriage reflective of the unity of Christ. And so as we looked at this concept of submission, this idea of respect, what that looks like, it's inevitable that at some point we have to talk about a little bit submitting to what? Uh, Submitting to the husband. And we talked a little bit about what submission is not last week, uh, that it's not necessarily agreeing with everything. Uh, It's not checking your brain at the door. It's not being the doormat. Uh, of life, and we talked a little bit of what that is, but it is to say that the husband uh, is to be the one that takes initiation. Now, the wife can provide reasons and give all the reasons and just leaves it up to the man and say, okay, let's do that. Um, but when it's said and done, what's being uh, spelled out is the man that says, let us do whatever. And so as you look at the marriages of two believers, who's saying let us the most? Who's taking the initiative the most? Uh, we see this as reveals or alludes back to Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 in this passage. And uh, this is the prototype marriage. It is what God set forth in marriage right from the very beginning. And, but we see the impact of sin. Uh, as we saw that in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, how impact that relationship where there was once harmony, now there's disunity because of the role of sin and how the Holy Spirit is working in Christ to redeem marriages. But I want us to look, husbands, for a second at the first sin. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, uh, we see this encounter as is given uh, there, a uh, very tragic scene. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, and I just want you to note something. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Okay? So we know this is sin, this is disobedience that's happening right here. But notice the next part. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The point I want you to understand is that he was with her as she ate. He was witnessing all that had transpired with uh, the Satan tempting Eve and watching her eat. He was not the innocent bystander. And we get this in Genesis 3 verse 17 when God is holding mankind to account uh, and he is holding each one account, the, uh, the Adam, the woman, and then the serpent. And when he comes to verse 17, he talks to the man and to the Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In the pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. I can't help but notice that Genesis 3.17, it's not just the eating of it, but it was also the listening to the wife to say, you did not take the lead. You did not take the charge of which God had given to him, the accountability, the mandate, and you were passive. You were passive in this. And so... There's this idea of what does it mean to submit and to lead. There is a passive role of saying we're going to make decisions of which we will do something. But there's more to this and that there's also the aspect of what is the husband submitting to in the woman. So let's go to verse 25 and we see the heavenly reality. And this part is what has just floated my heart and mind this week. Husbands... Love your wives. So, in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, remember 21 is the, the, the prefacing statement, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, then he says, husbands, in that way, husbands, love your wives. Our submission is to love our wife. So, what is the manner? That's the action of love. He goes on and says, this is the manner of love. As Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. So the standard, uh, men, as we want to love our wife, is not what our neighbor is doing, not what our brothers are doing. But the standard given to us is what has Christ done in loving his bride. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see here that it is a picture of a sacrificial love. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But he says when you look at this. Consider how Jesus sacrificed for the church. So husbands, you are called to sacrifice, to use your strength, use your abilities to bring it to the needs of the person that you're with, your wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now what was the purpose of the sacrifice? The purpose of the love and sacrifice you see in verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. So we see the the purpose of the love and sacrifice is this idea of sacrifice, of uh, setting aside, sanctify, is the word set apart for sacred purpose. Having cleansed her. 
So Jesus is now in the process of setting his church apart, cleansing us. How does that happen? What is he doing? What is the method of cleansing? He says, washing of the water, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I believe the washing of the water is a, is a reference to a ritual cleansing that was a part of Judaism to say this is what we do to symbolize something being set apart for the Lord and his word. And so the washing of the water by the word that Jesus now brings to us his word, gives to us his word, has given it to the apostles, written it down, and given his Holy Spirit to understand the word of God, that by reading the word of God, there is a work that God is doing. Remember John 15? John 15, when Jesus was preparing disciples for his departure, he said, I am the vine, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. When I read this, it tells me that God sees that there is a role of the word of God in his church. That as we read it and understand it with our mind, the Holy Spirit takes what's written on the pages, explains the meaning to us that we understand in our real life how the Word applies. And now the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and gives you a desire to trust it. To trust it. To trust it more than the circumstances that are around you, more than what is seen around you. And as you trust in the unseen realities of the Word of God, it starts shaping your future. It starts shaping how you perceive life around you. It changes your desires so that your conduct, your conduct is impacted. And as your conduct is impacted, your character changes and your actions bear fruit. But it starts with what you read and what you understand in the Word of God. And so that means that as a under-shepherd, as the under-shepherd of Christ in his church, that one of my primary roles and one of our roles together is to share with each other the Word of God. That even as I read this and explain it to you, as I trust in the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts, that there is a washing that God is doing over us as we continually get the Word of God. That is an amazing thing to consider what Spiritual heavenly realities are doing in the commonplace just reading the Word of God. That is why it's to be a part of our everyday experience to say, God, will you cleanse me? Will you change me more into your image as I read your Word? One of the things that's sad in our society, the American culture it's very much a feeling culture, isn't it? It's, it's, it's how you, you feel. So we don't really have the objective standards much in our society. Absolutes are not acceptable, except for that absolute. What is most important is how one feels. Ten commandments are, well, ten suggestions if you want to live by them. If they're right for you, if they're good for you then okay. Even now, 
anatomical facts, biological facts of our own being no longer determines who we are, but how we feel determines who we are. We apply this to society, to constitution. Uh, we apply it to the church where the feeling invades and says that, uh, you know, as long as it feels good, as long as it's comfortable, as long as there's a, approval in, in this, it doesn't really matter if it's accurate in the Bible or not. It's just how it feels. Pastor, help me feel good about ourselves. And let's just ignore some of these other truths, how it behave. All the while, we have a tendency of forsaking the clear teaching from God that He is a holy God who demands His people to be holy and righteous in all their behavior. Because of this, the bride of Christ can be terribly stained by the filth of the world, unfit for God's pure, beautiful bridegroom. There is to be, with the Word of God, a message of repentance and forsaken sin. Why do we not hear the call to purity? Sometimes it just doesn't feel right. Separation from the world is woefully absent. It starts with what does the word of God say? I remember one time a person called me and had a dear loved one that was struggling with how they perceived their biological sex. Wanted to be a woman and God had made him a man. One of the things I just gently brought to him is to say, look, whatever you say about yourself, I do know from the word of God that he will judge you ultimately as a man. Whether you believe it or not, it's up to you. But from the word of God, he will hold us accountable for how he made us. There is a standard of truth that is absent. The church cannot be the church apart from the sanctifying role of God's word, the cleansing of it. Why? What is he doing? What is the dream? If the method of cleansing is this, what is the dream? The dream is verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself. Now, this is, this is something where our culture, we don't get this, right? Because when we have a wedding, we have usually a father or someone representing a, a father saying, I, I give this bride. And then we have another man who is a groom. I give this bride to this groom. But here in this text, we have Jesus walking down with the church. And he says to this beautiful church, I present you and I present you to myself. I birthed you. I sacrificed for you. I provided for you. I'm working in your heart. And I've been doing this now for myself. So he's presenting him to himself. Why? That he is to be himself in splendor, radiant, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Yesterday we were driving around in Chapel Hill looking at some uh, places there. And we were driving by the well and uh, uh, there and some of the places. And you, know, you see all these people, but then there's always someone that just stands out in the sunlight because she's gleaming white. Bride having her pictures done. We were right there in front of the street. Uh, we were in our cars and the groom was there next to her. 
pictures were done and we were stopped there. Of course, we, all of us were sticking our head out the window, you know, couldn't help but the guy's like, all right. And we were all, yeah, you know. It's just a, I mean, there's just a few things that's, that's beautiful, irresistible. I was seeing a, a sight like that uh, of a bride in white in that moment where she has been preparing for it for a long, long time. I know because after that ensued a conversation in our car about future weddings. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it's a long ways away, right? <laughs> and just, you know, what that would be and, and the, the dreams and the thoughts of, of what it's going to be and what it looks like that began a long time ago and the very first wedding a little girl ever saw and her mind just fired away. There has been a long time of preparation, anticipation. And so we have here Jesus, the one who is anticipating, presenting his dream, is that there will be a day that, the, that this church and all the church combined will be without blemish, without spot, that they will be a beautiful representation of Jesus Christ. And his Holy Spirit is taking the word of God and moving in our hearts, convicting us of sin, confronting us in various ways, and they will be uncomfortable comfortable moments and there has to be uncomfortable moments to bring us into Christ likeness have you ever had your eyebrows plucked you know that's something that that I think a lot of brides kind of go through you know that there's these there's, sometimes the preparation is painful but but there is a standard a vision of beauty that is to be had. Jesus has a vision of beauty. And part of what I am to do as a pastor and what we are to do as a congregation is say, can we get a vision of who we could become in Christ's likeness? Can we be in this lifetime close to and pursue this dream that Jesus has? We keep on reading. She might be holy without blemish. Why? Well, we're going to look, and later on, we get connected down to verse 29. Why is Jesus wanting this? See, verse 9, So for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Why is he working in this? Because Christ becomes one with the bride. He wants the bride to be holy, radiant, without blemish, because she is becomes he. They become one together. And that is one of the things that we see in, in marriage is this conjugal relationship, this physical union that takes place between a man and a woman that is so much more than just having fruit in marriage. It is a picture of Christ and the church being one. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, we see this again, this, this mystery, this Hope of glory, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. I want to take you, I've been reading this week, and the last day before the cross in Jesus' life. And I've been reading that, I've been thinking of this Ephesians passage, and I just something struck me in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 15 through 18, Jesus is, is with his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure, but he's about to have the Passover. And we get a hint in this dream, this anticipation of Christ that he's got, the dream of love and sacrifice. What is he doing? 
Guys, have you ever, you remember before you were married, just the longing for marriage? Wow. Just had the, the time down, the countdown. It's like, man, two more weeks, can I make it? You just, the anticipation of it. I want you to notice what Jesus is saying. Luke chapter 22, verse 15, Jesus is about to take the Passover and he's repurposing, re, uh, refilling it with a whole new meaning of the Passover lamb. He's going to be the Passover lamb that brought the deliverance to God's people. But now he's filling it with a whole new meaning. He's going to bring a new covenant, a new promise. If you will, if you can just imagine, this is Jesus taking to the church and he's saying to the bride and offers a ring to her and says, will you marry me? I offer to you this cup. I offer to you this bread, which is my blood given for you. It's often you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. And Jesus is about to make the down payment on the proposal. As he's beginning the proposal right now in the Lord's Supper. Notice something, verse 15. Jesus says, I have earnestly desired... To eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, why does he earnestly desire to do this Passover? For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. What is he saying here? He says, look, I'm about to propose to you. I'm about to offer to be your groom. I'm about to ask you to be my bride. And I'm going to, to have this supper, this covenant together. We're going to symbolize some things together. And as you eat this bread and drink this cup, it'll be as my body and blood is one with you. And there'll be a union in Christ that I will accomplish on the cross and the resurrection. But I want you to understand something. I'm not going to do this again with you. And I'm until I do it with you in the kingdom of heaven. What is that? That is the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And so as Jesus is doing this, he says, I can almost taste it. There is going to be a wedding one day. And I've got a beautiful church that I'm working at. And I've got to pay a price. I've got to sacrifice my blood and my body for you. But I have a vision for you. Peter, yes, I know you're going to betray me three times before the cock crows. That's going to happen. But listen, I'm praying for you that your faith will be restored. And when it does, go back and encourage the others. Yes, I know you will fail, but I'm going to work in you. And I've got a vision. Can you see Jesus having the countdown in his mind, in his heart, longing for the wedding to take place. Listen, Jesus has a body. He has an earthly body. And some of us pine away. Remember pining away, waiting for that wedding day. Listen, Jesus has been waiting for 2,000 years. And he's still working. And there's going to be a day when his dream is going to be realized. And we, we don't understand that. We don't get Jesus' desires because he's so other. And so what does God do? He says, I want you to understand that this wedding you guys take part of is filled with meaning. You don't understand everything with my desires, but you can understand your desires. You can know what it's like to long for a husband and wife. You know what that's like. 
This is a great mystery, but it speaks of Christ and the church. That is a heavenly reality. I thought this might happen. I spent all the time talking about the heavenly reality. We don't get to the earthly model. I'll just take some time on this next time. But listen, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. Husbands, the earthly model has a husband with sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. There was a a movie that came out in 1987, extremely cheesy. Um, but to this day, I cannot do a wedding, officiate a wedding, without quotes popping in my head from this movie, Prince's Bride. Those laugh probably because you've seen The Prince's Bride. It's a, it's a cheesy movie, I'll just tell you that. But there's this picture of true love. I'm not going to do that voice. (laughs) True love that overcomes death even. Overcomes death. And it starts off with this man named Wesley who is a servant to Princess Buttercup. That's how you know in the beginning it's cheesy. But they have a hidden love for one another. And she's extremely bossy. And she tells the servant man, Wesley, what to do. And every time he responds, as you wish. Every time, and she delighted in hearing him say, as you wish. But it wasn't too long for her to realize that every time he said it, he was saying, I love you. Wesley got captured by the dread pirate Roberts, and she thought he lost her love. To one day she encountered this dreadful power, pirate that she thought had killed her love. As she was accusing him, he pushes, she pushes him down a hill and tells him he could die. And as he rolls down the hill, he calls out, as you wish. And in that moment she realized, oh, true love is still alive. And he's willing to die for me. Sacrificial love. Wives, you'll have to bring your husbands back next week for us to continue this on. But I just want to say to you that Jesus is the one that sees the needs, the deep needs of our heart. And on the cross, he was saying to God the Father, as you wish. And God the Father and God the Son with God the Holy Spirit is today saying to you, as you wish. You long for a love that sacrifices for you. We've got movie after movie and song after song echoing the cry of our heart. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is saying to you, as you wish. 
You want joy in your life that carries through no matter what the hills go? God is saying to you, as you wish, that your joy may be full. The question is, do we recognize? Do we recognize Jesus as the one we love? Or do we see him as some dread pirate Robert that come and steals our joy. Which one is it? Let's pray.